So we'll just call you Dr. Benny. That's fine. All right. Um, All right. I guess we could, we could start now. Yeah. Okay, sure. So I feel like one of the things that I really, really like admire you about is how good you're at explaining all different kinds of like eye conditions. Were okay. you like always good? Like, how'd you get like so good at explaining all of this? Um, how did it all start? There was a, uh, a couple of things. So like um, there have been consultants that I've worked with who talked about the importance of communication. Uh, there were, there was one guy uh, named Tom who um, his system, I mean, his, his approach to marketing vision therapy was uh, really just like whoever comes in through the door uh, making sure they have good results so that you could share their results with everybody else who's connected with them. Uh, whereas the, the, uh, the other individual, um, her name is Tony, uh, her, her consultant practice, uh, she specifically works with um, vision therapy doctors. And one of the uh, big things that she talks about is the concept of uh, having mass, which is essentially is the idea that if you're going to explain something, you have to do it in terms that people understand. So um, otherwise, the instant you introduce a word that makes people go, huh, well, what does that mean? Uh, you've lost them. And so uh, I just took that concept and decided, okay, you know what, I need to figure out a way of explaining everything that really makes sense to the, to the uninformed individual. So um, that's been a it's been a work in progress. I mean, like the way I used to explain things, it, it uh, over the years I've just kind of refined it and refined it until I figured out what really works for me and how do I can how I can like uh, demonstrate things because there's not too many people doing what I do. So if I can't explain it or demonstrate it somehow, like for example, if I've got a kid that's in the office and I find that they've got such and such thing going on. Um, I want to be sure that I can demonstrate the kid's vision problem to the parents. I don't want to just say, oh, they got such and such, they got such and such problem. And that's why this kid can't do this, can't do that. Uh, I want to be able to demonstrate it. And so, so, yeah, yeah, that's basically it. I want to be able to make sure that um, they really understand what the problem is so that they can understand what it is that we're trying to accomplish. I mean, it's not like, because vision therapy isn't like, say, you know, like if you're a dentist and you want you want to get you want somebody to do braces. I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? Okay, yeah, your teeth are crooked, and and after I'm done with them, they're going to be straight. That's pretty obvious. Uh, but with the eyes, it's not so obvious. You know, it's and if you've never looked through, you, you've nobody's ever looked through somebody else's eyes before, um, and so uh, it's very it's very conceptual. You know, everything that I'm explaining is really, really conceptual. So I have to be able to somehow um, communicate what's going on in a way that the parents will understand so that they'll actually, you know, listen and, and seek out what to do for the kid. I know, like, sometimes, I know you sometimes, like, demonstrate your hands. Like, you, like sometimes you say, like, the way my eye works is, like, it, it swings, like, upward, like, to the right. Like, yeah. the way they're, like not matching with each other yeah are you demonstrating just with your hands or like because i remember like there's 
one child that was like on a mat or something where you're demonstrating like how they were crawling. Uh-huh. Are oh. you demonstrating through like how, what do you mean by demonstrating? Demonstrating like, how- like um, when I say demonstrate, well, so that when I say demonstrating, I mean like for example, um, you know those uh, those three D pictures that I that we that we use for your therapy, like um, the clown or the the Humpty Dumpty, etc. Right. So those are called vectograms, and so a lot of times I'll I'll um, I'll show the parents that hey, you know when when Junior looks at this picture, uh, he can if I if I shift the picture, he's got no trouble following it coming close. But when I make it go further away, it just doubles on him or it gets really blurry. And so I'm trying to demonstrate to them, you know, this is what's going on. Uh, this is why. Um, this is the reason why he has trouble with reading. This is why he uh, can't remember how words are spelled and have to draw a diagram and so forth uh, to kind of explain what's going on with your eyes that is responsible for the uh, difficulties that they're having. I'm, for me, my eyes, like, um, like you said, like the... Sometimes it's just like learning difficulties for some people for their uh-huh. eye problem. Yeah. Um, when I see something for me, like the, the educate, like the learning problem is I can't see far enough. It's blurry. Like the, the classroom thing is blurry. Okay. But what you said something different where their eyes is kind of responding differently to when they're reading or something. So um, like in your case, is it okay that we talk about your vision problems here? Yes, but we should keep like other people confidential. Yeah, 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 uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, so like um, in your case, um, I mean, yeah, you're, you're nearsighted, you're nearsighted, you know, um, and then uh, the fact that your eyes kind of wander outward, um, that means that you're having trouble trying to visually process big picture and find details at the same time. Um, so the whole concept is, can you see the trees in the forest at the same time? Or for example, like if you, you know, think about the difference between playing ping pong versus playing football. Okay, if you're playing ping pong, you just focus on one little ball. You're not dealing with a whole lot of space and you don't, you've only got one opponent and you've got a limited space that you got to deal with you know it's, it's just the distance of a table or at the most a, a, a small room whereas if, if you're playing football um especially if you're the quarterback uh you've got to visually keep track of the whole whole field i mean tons and tons of people everybody running in different directions and you have to be able to take one quick glimpse and just kind of take it all in and know just like that what's the right thing to do and so that's when I say visual processing, that's what I mean by processing, as in taking information and know what to do with it, to, to have some degree of organization, to be able to look at everything and go, okay, I know what's going where, I know who's going where, I know what I should do, I know what my plan of action is, uh, I know that this person's probably gonna run to that way and this person's probably gonna run over there, and so I'm, I'm gonna move myself over this way to get around this guy and then toss the ball over to him. Um, so that's what I mean by visual processing is like how much information can I take in and work with it? Okay. And um, so if your eyes wander out, that means that, that, that means that you're, 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 because like in your case, like when we first started, it was like, you could see 3d up close, 
but then once you look further away, um, the eyes would kind of wander around. And so that means the further you look, the, the, the bigger or wider field that you're trying to deal with, the bigger of a, of a field that you're trying to deal with, the more your system kind of just falls apart and go, oh my gosh, I don't know where to look. I can't, I can't look at this detail and keep track of this other thing over here and that other person over there. I can't take it all in. And so I have to kind of tune it out. Okay. Um, so in your case, we're dealing with nearsightedness because of the fact that your eyes wander around. And so since your eyes wander around, since, since they're not naturally holding together as a team very well, uh, you have to end up work harder to hold the eyes together. And that results in a very, very tight um, um, muscle spasm that we're trying to knock out. Okay. So the muscle spasm is all a, it's a, the result of an inability of the eyes to stay naturally straight. And the inability of the eyes to stay naturally straight is because when you're looking far, uh, you're only able to see this much stuff instead of this much stuff. So the processing is how much you can see, like at one time, uh, right? Is that how? Is that something like a problem with the eyes, or is that have to? Well, do that's with really more of a problem with the brain. That's actually really has to do with more, um, more with brain processing. How much information can the brain process at a time? Okay. So, so, so uh, individuals with with eye turns, um, what you typically find is that they're not able to process as much visual stimuli at a time. Okay. So it's kind of like, so again, going back to the whole uh, analogy of playing ping pong versus playing football. If you're playing ping pong, you're just dealing with one ball. It might be going real fast, but you only have to worry about one ball. And you're dealing with a table that's you know, that you can get around just with a couple of steps. Whereas playing football, you're dealing with a huge field and a whole lot more people. Um, and so uh, if you've got a, an eye problem, like, you, like, you know, with where the eyes don't line up right, you might be able to play ping pong and you might be able to do certain things pretty well. But the instant you have to deal with lots and lots of things at once, again, such as playing uh, uh, team sports, football, as an example, um, then, then it becomes much, much harder because uh, you don't have the mental capacity to process that much information at a time. Okay. How does this like processing like not work well like in the first place? That, that's a good question. Um, it depends on, depends on a lot of things. Um, like for example, um, if you, let's compare a kid growing up uh, nowadays in the suburbs or, or even uh, urban area um, versus a kid growing up outdoors uh, in, in the countryside and so forth. If you're, if you're growing up in the suburbs, then your environment in terms of like, your environment in terms of what your how much how much um, danger you have to put up with is pretty low. Like you know, your as a kid, your your parents are going to make sure they're going to baby proof the house, making sure you don't trip over anything or get yourself hurt, etc. And you're you're in an environment where you're dealing with a relatively small space. You know, just the biggest place would be the living room. You know, 
Um, and so you're not moving around as much. Uh, sure, you're running around the house, but there's generally speaking, the ground's flat. And you know, if they crawl, if you if you crawl up the stairs, then you know they won't, your parents are going to make sure that you don't get yourself hurt. Whereas if you're a kid growing out in the outdoors, um, in the countryside or something like that, and your your parents send you to run an errand or, or to take care of something in the uh, in the fields, uh, then you know if you're if you're running around outside, you're dealing with big rocks, running around trees, etc. You're dealing with a much more um, dynamic environment. And if you don't manage to, if you can't maneuver that environment well, you will get hurt. You'll get very hurt. You can potentially get very hurt. And so by, by having those experiences as a kid, if you have those kinds of experiences as a kid where you know, you're, you're outdoors all the time, you're running around, running away from animals, trying to catch bugs, running through fields, climbing rocks, climbing mountains, climbing trees, jumping from one tree to another, um, you train your eyes, you train your eye-hand coordination out of, out of sheer need, right? So just, just because of sheer need, you end up training yourself to take in more information at a time. So, and not only that, but it's, it's 360, you know, up, down, left, right, behind you, everything. It's all, everything all at once because you've got an environment that's, that, that's constantly changing, you know, and it's a much, much bigger environment that you got to train your mind to get accustomed to, okay? So, that, so, so that's why, you know, wild animals, they're always looking left and right, left and right, left and right, you know, they're, they're like constantly scanning around, trying to take in the whole world always scanning. Whereas if you're a kid growing up in the suburbs and you're, you know, you spend your days uh, in your living room look, playing with, with Legos and playing with phones and playing with iPads and looking at videos th and things that are, that, that you don't really need to worry about in terms of getting hurt. Um, you know, there's no obstacle courses for you to maneuver through, right? Um, so for that reason, your eyes don't get nearly the same degree of training, you know, just, just because there's no, there's no, uh, I think maybe the, the, a good way to put it would be like, for example, like if you, if you compare, um, what happens to a, it like, like, you know, after a caterpillar makes it, makes a cocoon and then has to work its way out of it, out of the shell, right? Um, ideally you let the, you let the caterpillar, you let the, uh, the butterfly or moth, like they have to work at getting out of there. If you pull it apart so that they get out there more easily, what ends up happening is fluid doesn't get into the wings and then they end up not being able to fly. Okay. So you actually need all that stress. You need it. And in the same way, if you have those kinds of, of, uh, uh, activities, um, when you're a kid where you have an environment that can potentially hurt you um, in the long run, it's better for you because you end up training yourself. So I guess the, the, the modern way to do it would be um, if you can figure out some way to get the same training without putting yourself in the same degree of risk, right? You know, uh, doing obstacle courses where everything's padded, but you still, you have somebody watching and making sure that they're actually uh, safe, but still get the same degree of, of um, stimuli, stimuli and training and so forth so that their minds are more capable of handling a lot more dynamics in their environment, okay? So um, when it comes to people who have these types of eye turns and things like that, these types of developmental vision problems, uh, a, lot, a lot of times what ends up happening is they're not able to um, 
they're not able to mentally multitask very well. They're only like, they're, they're only able to do kind of one thing at a time, one thing at a time. Okay. So like, um, one of the activities that you, I don't, I don't, I don't recall if we did it with you, but like, there's an activity called um, infinity walk where you're reading the letter chart, but you're walking around, you're walking a figure eight around two obstacles while you're reading it. So the whole idea is, Hey, can I have you focus on these details, but simultaneously be aware of your environment and figure out how to maneuver through that figure eight without losing track of where you're reading. So, so that you're trying to mentally process the fine details and the big picture simultaneously. Right. Mm-hmm. so whereas in the wild you might be you might train yourself to do something like that if you're trying to catch a butterfly while running through the forest well you can you can look at the butterfly and if you're not careful you're going to trip you might bang your you bang up your head or bang up your elbows or whatever right mm-hmm. so that's again it's a similar idea you want to be able to look at one thing but process your surroundings all at the same time and if you can do that then that means your eyes are better at handling big picture Okay, so yeah, so a lot of kids, they're like with if you if they have this type of problem, then they're going to have those type of issues where they just can't do all those things at once. Uh, what what ends up happening is rather than being able to smoothly walk and read the letters, they'll take one step, say a letter, take another step, say a letter, take another step, say a letter. They're like F, P, M, O, G. It's like come on, can't you just walk and not think about your steps? No, they just can't. Okay, so that's what ends up happening. Is, is it ever too late? Because I grew up in like a sur- suburban place and I've never really had to like deal with risk like that. Is it right. ever too late for me to like get better? No, like... no, no. It, it's not, it's never too late. I mean, because the brain, the brain is dynamic, you know, the brain's capable of making new connections. I mean, if it's ever too late, then I wouldn't have a business, you know? That's the whole point of this is to... Um, give the patient the uh, necessary stimuli in order that the brain can can uh, process things properly. So I'm training my brain more than I'm training my eyes? You're training the brain, yes. You're training, you're actually, what you're really doing is you're training the brain. You're training the brain to process more information so that so that you don't need to do as much work with the muscles. I see. Okay. Okay. All right. It's really, it's really one and the same. It's actually, there's actually not really any difference because the eyeballs are literally part of the brain. They really are. Um, the layers of the retina, the layers of the retina, you know, the, the back of the eyes, uh, the layers of the retina are, uh, they're perfectly analogous to the layers of the, of the cortex. Your eyeballs are literally parts of your eye, uh, sorry, your eyeballs are literally parts of the brain that grew forward and developed photoreceptors so that it can take in information directly about the world. I heard something about nerves, like the amount of nerves in like your spinal cord or something is the same mm-hmm. as your eye or even more than, I mean, your eyes have even yeah. more nerves. Yeah, yeah, is something it, like that. Um, I like, don't remember the numbers, but yeah, it, it's something, it's something ridiculously, it's, it's something big like that, that is true. Like the eyes are like really important. Like they're part of your brain, and they're the part of the brain. Yes. It will really, it will really be bad if like your eyes got bad. Yeah. Yeah. So like, um, 
Yeah, so like the, 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 the brain, I mean, sorry, the, the eyes are quite literally part of the brain. Um, and so when we do, when we do vision training, like we don't say eye, we don't like to say eye exercises because eye exercises kind of imply that we're just doing stuff with the muscles. Uh, but a lot, I mean, that is a small part of it. Um, that is indeed a small part of it. We do want to develop better fine motor control and, um, and especially like if you're if you're nearsighted and you're always like kind of hunched in and locked onto little details all the time, what ends up happening is that the muscles that are responsible for looking further away they end up being kind of weaker. Uh, so you do have to want to you do want to stretch it out. Okay, as a matter of fact, like you know that's like the first thing we do. The first exercise we do for everybody is something called eye control. We you know cover one eye, look at a target, and follow in eight different directions: up, down, left, right, and diagonal. Four different directions diagonally. We do, that's the first thing we do. Okay, and the rationale is, hey, whatever it is that you're usually doing, uh, it, rather than processing your whole space, you're probably only processing a small amount of space. So we wanna make sure that your muscles are accustomed to going in all different directions. So we do that at the very beginning. When I do eye exercises, I feel like it's really, it's really taxing. Like it's really tiring to do them. Mm -hmm. I don't think, it's not just my eyes are getting like kind of tired. I think it's like, it's mentally yeah. taxing too. It is, it is. You really have to like work at like mm -hmm. making sure like you see it. Yeah, right, right. No, that is true. That is true. Yeah, it requires a certain degree of, um, it requires a lot of attention and the attention that you got put in, it, it, it can be very tiring. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. um, like, I feel like for me, I've spent a lot of time indoors, like reading books, in screens, even when I'm outside, it's not like I'm taking risks. Mm -hmm. I want to do that, but like, what can, like, what can I do like in the future, like to make sure my eyes don't get worse or well, go, what go, can I change? Go, go, go play ball and <laughs> you know, go play ball. That'd be really good. That's a good one hiking and basically just anything anything outdoors you know would be would be good for kind of preventing that um so there's a few concepts in in uh, uh vision therapy and our our field we call uh, behavioral optometry um in our field like one of the concepts is that the um the individual or the organism the person animal creature whatever you want to call it uh always grows along a line of stress so wherever the stress is, you, you, will, you will physically adapt to that line of stress. For example, if you're a farmer and you're always hunched over and you're, all the muscles in, in, your, in your front are pulling you down all the time because you're always hunch, hunching down like that, eventually you physically end up staying that way. <coughs> okay, you end up staying that way. You physically get that way. Uh, in the same way, if your eyes are always focused up close, um, you know, if you're, if you're always, always, always focused up close for several hours a day, um, then your eyeballs will prefer to stay nearsighted because that's, it's actually easier that way. It's kind of like, you know, going back to the uh, farmer analogy, why keep my back straight if I'm actually doing this all day, right? Why bother staying this way if I'm actually doing this all day? Why don't I just keep it this way so that I don't have to go from here to here? I should just stay here because I'm doing this 80% of my time during the day. 
So that's, that's what the human body does. The human body will rather, would, rather than having to go from point A to point B, if I spend 80, 90% of my day at point B, then my body will want to prefer to stay close to point B. Otherwise, I have to go from point A to point B. It doesn't matter what normal is. It only matters what I'm, what I'm doing. Okay. So uh, for the same reason, um, if you are spending way too much time up close, uh, your, your eyes would tend to adapt in that direction. And that adaptation, that adaptation is more likely to occur the younger you are. Because the younger you are, the, um, your connective tissue are more flexible. And so that's the time during which whatever it is your tasks are, whatever it is that your environment or your job requires you to do, uh, you're physically most adaptable at that moment in time. Now, I know that there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's ophthalmologists and so forth. There's a lot of medical professionals that don't agree with that. They, 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 they just, yeah, they just make the blanket statement that it's all genetics and whatever, but it, that doesn't make any sense. That, that there's, there's, no, there's no evidence for that whatsoever. Um, we know that to be the case because like, for example, um, you look at um, Eskimos, okay? Back in the early 1900s, when Eskimos started, um, started uh, uh, just, just began meeting with, with uh, Westerners, um, like nobody back then was nearsighted. And now hundreds something years later, uh, among the Eskimo population, there's a huge number of people who are nearsighted. Well, I mean, yeah, there you go. And you can see that a lot in, um, in like, for example, heck, just in my optometry school class, um, just from studying so much, I had a lot of classmates who came into school not being nearsighted, and then by the time they're done, they're nearsighted. So you know, they're you know, so, so I, the next time a doctor tells you that it's all genes, just be like, okay, which gene is it? Which gene is it? Which chromosome? Tell me. <laughs> okay, they don't have a clue. You know, it's kind of sad because like. Children don't choose what environment they're in. And no, they, they don't. They don't. My upbringing was stuck in a house in a sub yeah. suburban place, and right. I didn't really get the opportunity to like do farmer stuff or anything like that. So, like, I mean, what can we change? <laughs> uh, I mean, just spending more time outdoors is good. I mean, being being able to um, uh, be. Spending, outdoor, spending time outdoors, playing games, um, running around with friends. I mean, th those, are, those are good things. Those are, those are positive things. Um, I think uh, people of my parents' generation, like they didn't understand the importance of fun and games for kids, um, especially for us Asians, you know, or us workaholic Asians. Um, you know, for them, it's like, oh, you know, playing is, is not important. You know, it's all about survival, survival, survival. Well, actually, uh, play is an important part of survival because that as a kid as a child who doesn't know anything who hasn't learned anything yet you want to play because your nervous system is driving you to play you want to play because play develops basic skills that are essential for later on in life the ability to 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 maneuver your environment the ability to take in information about your environment the ability to to communicate with other people, strategize. You know, when you're playing ball games, when you're 
when you're, when you're uh, playing diff all kinds of different games, uh, you're communicating with other people so that you're learning how to, um, uh, you're, you're learning the importance of teamwork, you're learning the importance of communication, uh, how to monitor your own reactions, how to have, you know, good um, sportsmanship. These are all important for, for later on in life when you're working in teams. Okay, so these are all very, very important. And so we shouldn't downplay that, you know, you want to allow kids to play so that they get good at these things. And the more they get to play, guess what, they end up being more um, sophisticated people later on. Yeah, they're usually more uh, successful. If you don't get to play, then, then you're, you're not just dull, you actually are literally not as smart. Did you grow up as a farmer? No. No? I was a big nerd. Like, were you, like, in a rural place or, like... No, no, the suburbs. I mean, I did, I did a lot. I did my fair share of, like, running around biking. But uh, my problem was... Um, so, I think you asked the question of what my eyes were like. Uh, so, me growing up... Uh, geez. Um, I had a lot of, I have a lot of issues myself. So like, um, ever since I was little, I would get car sick very easily. And uh, when I first came to the U.S. from Taiwan, um, when I first came to the U.S. from Taiwan, like uh, when other kids would play tetherball, play basketball, whatever, um, I just had a terrible time keeping up with them to the point where I just decided, you know, this is not fun. You know, kids only want to do whatever is fun. But when you're, when you suck at it compared to everybody else, it's not fun anymore. So I just stopped. I just didn't want to play. So the only thing I ever played was was handball. And and when it came to basketball, any any kind of any kind of team sports, I was terrible at. And I never really knew why. I just knew I wasn't good at it. And um, the other thing was that um, I would like there were eccentricities about me. You know, earlier I was talking about how we have a tendency to um, if you're if you're nearsighted or if you have if you have eye problems you have trouble taking in a lot of information at once. So I had a tendency to over-focus on, uh, on, on little details and lose track of the big picture. So whether it be uh, doing chores or uh, communicating or whatever, that was always an issue. And um, just that was something that actually made me very, very uh, insecure when it came to um, a lot of areas. Okay, and it wasn't until after I began learning more about vision therapy that I realized that a lot of the problems that I see in these other kids are actually the same problems that I've got. And so I was like, oh shoot, I gotta do this on myself. Oh, I gotta do that on myself. Oh dang, that's why, that's why I get car sick so easily. Oh gee, I didn't even know I could see double when I look this way, um, et cetera. Oh, that's why, that's why I couldn't hit the ball. You try the exercises on yourself? Oh, yeah, totally. Wait, how were you, were your eyes like nearsighted or something as a kid? Or um, yeah, totally. I got I got LASIK back in two thousand six. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got LASIK then, but uh -huh. yeah, before. Um, I mean, my my prescription is more than twice as bad as yours. Uh huh. Yeah, my prescription is really really bad. Your 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 eyes are not that bad. Um. So, I mean, my prescription was the same as yours back when I was in sixth grade. 
And then by the time I was, uh, by the time I was finished with high school, it had doubled. Yeah, by the time I was okay. So by the time I was done with, by the time I was starting college, it was about twice as high as yours are right now. Yeah. So yeah, my eyes are pretty bad. Why were they bad? Was it because of the environment? Well, so you know the whole all the stuff I was talking about earlier with um, mm-hmm. having like being unable to process details and big pictures simultaneously. So since I couldn't do both at the same time, I would just kind of uh, ignore big picture and over focus on little details. And so that means that that means that my eyes, when it comes to uh, reading, studying, etc., um, I would excessively focus on fine detail and lose the big picture very easily. As a result of that, when you read, when I read, read for a long time, it was easy for my eyes to uh, worsen over time. Okay, so I mean, I didn't, ha- I didn't know anything about vision therapy when I was a kid. So, uh, you know, went through many, many years of just studying my butt off and trying really hard to be a good student, but at the cost of my eyes getting really bad and never really knew that, that there was something that could be done about it. And, um, you know, our parents, my parents' age, you know, with, with, with their generation, like they, they didn't know anything about this either. It's not like, you know, they, they brought me, they did bring me to the doctor. I went to the eye doctor and, um, and pretty much all they gave me was just stronger and stronger glasses. So they never recommended anything. Uh, so it's not like they were being negligent, but, you know, we just didn't know. Yeah. So, yeah, my eyes are pretty bad. It's pretty possible that we, ne- we never met. Like, I would have never known that my eyes had something. Like, there was something wrong with my eyes. Like, I would have just not known about this, like, ever. Yeah. And I feel like yeah. a lot of people might have this problem, too. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. They might not know that vision therapy like even exists. No, they don't. They don't. Definitely don't. Yeah. What problems can be solved? Is it all nearsightedness or um, particular types? Uh, all, this all types of problems. Um, okay, so. Oh boy, uh, this is a very very broad question. Um, I think the best way to kind of explain how everything fits together is the concept of, all right, let, let's, let's do it this way. So like, I, mean, I have to like take a step back and kind of explain everything that's going on. So the, so it's easy for the listener to, for the listener to figure out what's going on. So um, the way the eyes work, again, going back to the fact that your brain, your, your eyes are literally part of the brain, right? Mm-hmm. Your, um, the back of the eyes, the, the retina, there's different types of processing that goes on in the retina. There's, there are uh, two main systems. There's actually more than two, but the two main ones that we want to talk about, uh, one is called the M cell system and the other is called the P cell system. M cell means magno means big cell. So there's the big cell system and the small cell system. The big cell system is for looking at movement and relative location. We just call it the where is it system. There's the other system called the P cell system or the small cell system. Uh, that's for looking at fine details. We'll just call it the what is it system. So your eyes need to be able to look at 
yeah, you need to be able you need to be able to simultaneously process what things are and where they are relative to each other and where they are relative to yourself. Okay. And the difference between these two systems is kind of like the difference between the right brain and the left brain. So your left brain is analytical, okay? Logic and so forth, analytical stuff, that's all left brain. Your, your right brain, your right brain is um, taking what you know and making connections between them and being creative and so forth, okay? So your brain, you got a right brain and a left brain, they do kind of different things. and. And the two brains, they've got something called the corpus callosum that connects the two so that you can share information between the two halves, okay? So you want your eyes to be able to process big picture and details simultaneously. If you can do both, if you can do both at the same time and you can do it well, then, then, then in terms of the way you think, in terms of the way you think, you should be capable of handling details and making connections between things both relatively easily. Okay, so I can, I can work with people in a team, understand things from other people's point of view and sit down and analyze a, uh, a, a textbook. Okay, so these are, are different types of right brain versus left brain types of activities. Left brain is just taking information and processing it. So that'd be like hard science. Right brain would be things like, oh, how do I get this person to do what I want them to do without them feeling like I'm taking advantage of them? Okay, that's right brain stuff. Okay, the left brain doesn't know how to do that. Okay, right brain, right brain is all about relations and connections and, and being creative. Okay, how do I communicate such and such to this person? How do I, uh, um, how do I get these people to cooperate with each other? Uh, am I aware of my feelings, etc.? You know, these are all right brain kind of stuff. Left brain, left brain doesn't deal with that kind of stuff. And unfortunately, in school, everything we do in the in school, a majority of it is all left brain stuff. We're not really taught to do right brain stuff until we get into teams, until we do sports. That then that takes a lot more right brain activity. Okay. So um, in any case, if your visual system can handle both streams of information at the same time, namely details and big picture at the same time, then your brain gets practice doing both types of activities at the same time. Now, if for whatever reason, you've got a fine motor control problem where your ability to use your eye muscles adequately, if your ability to work your eyes together as a team adequately is poor, for whatever reason, whether it be head injury or poor development, lack of stimuli, whatever, if you have something like that going on, then what ends up happening is you end up having trouble trying to process both streams of information at the same time. At which point you have to decide to yourself, which one is more important to me? If the details are more important to you, then you will force yourself to sit down and continue to focus on those details. And in which case you're going to continue working, you know, plowing away at working hard at reading, at fine detailed work. Your personality is going to be more like that of an engineer. Um, and where, whereas if you, uh, if you decide that the big picture is more important to you, that it's more important to have a general idea about where you're going and, and, and connections between things, if that's, if your internal um, uh, uh, value system, 
says that those things are more important to me, then you're going to decide that, hey, you know, I'm going to get good at this other stuff, you know, making connections, communicating with people, uh, being creative, that's more important to me. And therefore, I'm going to shy away from trying to handle details, because that's too much work. And to me, that's not that important. And so that's where you've got the dichotomy between a very, very strong right brain person versus a very strong left brain person. Okay, so um, pretty much, if you look at um, any team, okay, so actually, to be honest, I was like, thinking to myself, do I want to write a book about this? Because I was thinking to myself that if you, if, if people understand that both types of people are important, and that they need to be able to understand each other, it's going to be easier for them to work together in teams. So there's going to be some people who are very good at details, but they're not very good at communicating things to other people. And they're definitely not good with getting people to work together. On the other hand, the people that are good with communicating with people that are good with um, delegation and administration and, and so forth uh, and being creative, uh, they're not going to be the types who are good at sitting down and reading a textbook. Okay. And so they need to understand that both types of personalities are important for whatever it is that they're doing. And they need to be able to communicate with, with each other and work together. And it all has to do with how they use their eyes. Okay. Now, just because you're nearsighted doesn't necessarily mean that you're necessarily one type or the other. You can actually, um, and that's it, it, not, not always the case. Uh, I have a good friend of mine, well, not, not, cl not close friend or anything like that, but I have a, a, a friendly acquaintance friend. Um, he's, he's pretty nearsighted, but um, he's, he's, he's like a sharp guy. He's, he thinks fast. He thinks fast on his feet. He's also nearsighted. And I took a quick look at his eyes. So I, I like the, you know, the, the 3D pictures, the vectograms, you know? Um, so I showed him the picture of the frog and I said, here, look over here. Where, where does the frog appear to be? Oh, it's going further away. What about now? It's coming closer. Oh, oh, doing double. Okay, where's it now? Oh, going further, going further, going further. Oh, going way past you. Oh, now it's by the wall. Good. Try to follow it coming close to you. So I move it, move it. I try to, and he would try to follow it as it comes close to him. And as it comes closer to him, it just keeps on doubling. Okay. So I said, okay, you're the kind of person who doesn't, you, you prefer looking further away. You prefer looking at the big picture. And if I make the picture come closer to you and where you have to kind of hyper-focus and really focus on little details, things fall apart. So that tells me you prefer looking at the big picture. You don't like fine details. And, 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 and uh, you, the way your eyes work tells me why. And then, and then he was like, oh my God, you gotta tell my parents that. You have to tell my parents that. <laughs> it's Wait, not why? my Wait, why, why does he need to tell his parents? Because his parents are always getting on his case about not being a good studier. Oh, oh. How, have we tried this with me? Have we done this before? Um, and like, do you know what happened? Uh, I, I, well, in your case, in your case, you're probably, you're probably more of the detail person because you can see the 3D coming close. But when, go so the thing is, even though your eyes go out, the thing is, you're, you're, at least when you first started, when you first started, it was that you could see the 3D coming close, but when it goes further away, you would have trouble trying to process the big picture. You've gotten better at it. You've definitely gotten a lot better at it. Uh, so I don't know where you are right now. 
I don't know where you're at right now, but um, uh, you're def definitely getting better at it. I mean, most of the time, I, this whole time you've been really just working on trying to get your eye muscles to loosen up so that you can see more clearly with the lower power. So I haven't really looked into the uh, how much information can you process at a time because I've been mostly working on the muscle control. Yeah, because again, the reason why you came to see me was because of your nearsightedness. Mm -hmm. right. the, the eyes turning inward and outward, is that about distance, how far something away is or how my eye is turning? Is, is my, are my eyes actually turning inside and out as I'm looking? Uh, well, I mean, if you're, if you're looking at the 3D picture coming closer to you, then yeah, your eyes would turn in. And if I make it, okay, so, so that both eyes are aiming at the same picture, right? Yeah, it does. Right, it's going okay. closer. Yeah. It has to. And then, if you're looking at the if I make the 3D picture move the other way, then your eyes have to aim further out. Okay. Now the thing is, you have no trouble getting the eyes to aim further out. In fact, they drift out too far. The problem isn't so much. It's not so much about the muscle control of going out. It's as you go out, as your eyes look further away, you are now able. You are now uh, taking in information, you're now taking in a wider field. Because if I'm focused close, then if I'm, if I'm looking at something up close, I'm really just looking at whatever it is my hands are holding and I can kind of tune out everything else, right? But if I look further away, if I look on the distance then it's like, oh, I got the whole, I got the whole freaking horizon to look at, right? So that means it's a much wider field, bigger uh, range of information for you to look at and take in. And, and trying to take all of that in at once is harder for somebody who has an eye drifting out. Okay. Uh-huh. So it's a, it, it, yeah. So um, you're a little different than him because your eyes have a tendency to drift out. He doesn't have a tendency to drift out. He actually just has trouble pulling in. Okay. You don't have a trouble, you don't have trouble pulling in. You have trouble staying straight because of a uh, lack of ability to process big picture. Okay. You're, when you look far, at least that's when you first started, when you, when you first started, it was when you look far away. Now, again, when you look far away, when you're looking far away at things, you can look, you, you have a lot more information to look at. Okay, if I'm looking across the street, I got the hills over there, I got the park across the street, all these different cars, I got all this stuff to look at. Okay, so when, I, when you look far away, you've got more stuff to look at. And you're not able to, uh, you're not able to uh, take in all that information and process it uh, in a very organized manner. And therefore the eyes don't stay aligned. Okay, but you have no trouble pulling the eyes in. This other guy that I'm talking about, his eyes are fine looking far away. But when he looks close, it doesn't pull in properly. Okay. Okay. When he looks close, it doesn't pull in properly. He has to put in extra effort to get the job done. He's being asked to be a more studious person. He tries. And he, in, in his case, he has to put in extra effort in order to do so. But his default is, I prefer to be a big picture type of person. And I don't like it when I have to focus on little details up close for long periods of time. My eyes get tired. Over time, my eyes now uh, become more and more nearsighted, et cetera. 
and we could train this, right? He can get better at right. You can get better at that, right? Exactly. Yeah, I can get better at looking farther. Right. You can get better at looking further. He can get better at looking close up. Yeah. So this is all trainable. He's an adult, right? Yeah, he's like twenty something. Oh, okay. Um, how about like those really little kids that you see, like? I know, like, some of them are, like, really small, like, three years old or something. How come three? they? Uh, gee, not three. Well, I mean, we've, we've got some patients that are, like, you know, six or seven years old. Why Why so young? Um, lots of reasons. Lots of reasons. Is it the environment thing again? Uh, probably. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean, some of them. Um, and like, gee, there's all types of different types of vision problems. Um, I mean, we got, I've got one kid right now. Okay. I actually, actually, I do have a, uh, I actually do have a three and a half year old patient right now. Um, yeah. So, so this kid, uh, he's got astigmatism in one eye and the other eye is pretty much normal. Uh, so it's only one eye that has, has the astigmatism. What's that? Astigmatism is where uh, the shape of your eye, when you measure the curvature, this curve and this curve, they're not the same. Okay. So the, the width eyeball, is not the same. So the, okay. the horizontal part is not the same the as hor- the, the horizontal meridian. The, the horizontal radius of curvature and the vertical radius of curvature are not the same. It's like in his case, it's steeper this way, flatter this way. Uh-huh. So it's like it's egg shaped, football shaped instead of spherical, like like a like a basketball. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's the shape of the eye. So the question is, how did you get that way? How did how did this kid get that way? Why why is the astigmatism only in one eye and not the other? Um, well, took a look at him and he has uh, the same convergence problem that the twenty some year old friend of mine has. Okay, so with my friend. With my friend, what happens is he has a trouble. He has trouble getting his eyes to come together when he's reading. So what does he do? He goes, "Oh, well, this is hard, but I have to read, so I'm gonna push myself. I'm gonna really push myself and really push myself." And he tries to keep both eyes on target. And because both eyes are trying to work and both eyes are working really hard, both eyes get nearsighted. Okay, so in his case, both eyes get nearsighted. He's trying to do something that his eyes aren't very good at doing. He has to put in a lot of voluntary effort to get the job done. So he, so as a result, he has to work really hard and that over time makes his eyeball elongate over time. With this other kid, the, the three and a half year old, we have a different situation. The root cause is the same. He has trouble getting his eyes to come together up close. But in this kid's case, what, ha- what rather than rather than say, hey, I'm going to make myself work harder. I'm going to make myself work harder. He didn't do that. No, what he did was, okay, I'm got close enough, close enough. Uh, let it go. Yeah, yeah, close enough. Okay, I just use one eye. Oh. Okay. Huh. So they're kind of there. Oh, it's kind of in, oh, kind of out, kind of in, kind of out, kind of in, kind of out. Close enough. Close enough. Uh, if I have to pay attention, I use my left eye. I let my right eye drift out every now and then. Okay. So what ends up happening is, one eye is on target, the other eye often is not on target, 
So whenever he's trying to do anything up close, one eye is on target, the other eye kind of wanders, jiggles around. So rather than holding, yeah, rather than the two eyes being locked on like this, it's actually going like that a lot. That, the wobbling, that wiggling outward, that's what's inducing the astigmatism. Okay. I see. Okay. So this kid goes, okay, I'm gonna use my left eye. I'm just gonna super concentrate on my, right, on my left eye and maybe I'll use my right eye every now and then. Okay. So the first kid, the first guy, first guy says, I'm gonna use both eyes and both eyes are working really hard. Both eyes are working really hard. Both eyes are working really hard. Oh, both eyes are nearsighted now. The other kid goes, I'm gonna use one eye. Yeah, I'm just gonna kind of use one eye. The other one, I just kind of let go because otherwise, otherwise it's too hard. Yeah, just let it go. I'm only three, I don't care. Okay. <laughs> so there you go. So that's, that's where it comes from. For a normal, for a person with like their eyes are fine, is that does that mean that they're okay with looking far away and they're okay with looking close? Not always, yeah. not always. So, um, so going back, so like the 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 problem that I just described is something called convergence insufficiency. Convergence insufficiency is where when you look straight ahead, when you look far away, your eyes are straight. But when you're trying to read, your eyes have trouble adequately coming together as a team. Now, if you have convergence insufficiency, you will tend to fall into one of three different categories. One category is you try to bring your eyes in, but it doesn't really want to come in. You're still focused on big picture. Okay, again, you're supposed to try to handle big picture and details at the same time, right? That's what you're supposed to do. So if you stay in the mode where I want to make sure I can handle big picture, then what ends up happening is you're trying to read and whoop, bounce out, oh. Both eyes kind of wander off, print jumps around, neither eye is working very hard, your performance suffers and you end up being a really poor reader. That's your classic case of convergence insufficiency. If you Google convergence insufficiency, you'll read about how if you have convergence insufficiency, you might be a poor reader, have difficulty concentrating, you might fall asleep when you try to read, um, handwriting might be bad, you might have difficulty copying from the whiteboard, uh, etc. Okay, so this is the person where um, they do not have a uh, muscle exertion strategy to deal with the problem okay they've got a coordination problem and rather than trying to put in extra voluntary effort they don't do that they just they, their performance just suffers so that's the that's one possibility that kind of person usually doesn't need glasses most of the time they don't need glasses because they try hard to make it work no because they're not trying oh they don't try to they make don't it. Try. Yeah, when they're, they're not when trying. They're reading up close, they don't try to make they, it, bring it in. Yeah, they're just they're just kind of bouncing around. Or even if they do try, they just they haven't quite figured out how to do it in a, in a way where it where it actually helps. So the eyes just kind of bounce around. So therefore, their performance suffers. Oh, so it's. But therefore, then their eyes aren't actually good. Then right. Yeah, they're, no, they're, they're, their eyes are not good. Uh -huh. their, eyes, their performance suffers in terms of being able to remember what they read. Okay. Okay. Because now this is the kind of person where um, the big picture is more important to them. They're neglecting details. And so their eyes are jumping around all over the place. Okay. So that's, that's, that's your classic case of convergence insufficiency. 
the next possibility is um, the next possibility is you're when you're trying to read you're trying to make the eyes come together and you learn to because so so does the second case is somebody who um, uh, is very detail oriented they have the same problem but they're detail oriented and so what happens is they're putting in a lot of voluntary effort to try to get the job done and both eyes are staying on target but with a lot of extra effort okay key point is that they're doing they're getting the work done but they have to they, the only way they're able to get the work done is by putting in a lot of extra effort okay so because they're putting in all the extra effort now the muscles are doing more work than they should be and so therefore uh their eyesight gets worse over time so they're getting the job done at the expense of their eyeballs getting longer okay so that is that is my friend's case okay although in his case he's actually in his case, it's severe enough where um, it's severe enough where uh, even though he is not a very detail-minded person, uh, it still has caused his eyesight to get pretty bad. Okay, in any case, he has at least tried to um, put you know force his eyes to work together. He's been putting in a lot of voluntary effort. Okay, so that's type two. Type three, type three is the three-year-old that I was just talking about. Are these all regular people or are these like special people with problems? Regular people. These are regular people that that could have like have trouble reading or yeah. doing things up close. Yeah. Yeah. What about people that do not have like problems reading up close or anything? Well, then if they really if they really are that good, then chances are they don't have any issues that they really are totally normal. What is a normal eye look like? I mean, was it? Was it like normal, normal is we're talking about normal would be like, okay, uh, to be honest with you, there's not a whole lot of people out there that are hundred percent normal. I think okay. a lot of people have issues that they don't know about. Okay. But if you're, if you're a typical, if you're a scholar athlete, you're just kind of good at everything. Okay. If you're a scholar athlete that doesn't need glasses. Yeah. Your, your eyes are doing great. Your nervous system's functioning really, really well. You've got it made. You can study really well and you can play sports. You do everything, you know, whatever it is you put your mind to, you can do. Um, then yeah, you're, then, then your eyes and your brain and whatever your nervous system is working together really well. That's rare. How often do you see that? Um, how about people in like countryside? Like that, yeah, um, they're more likely to see, you're more likely to see that in, in people who are living in more rural places. Although, although, um, yes and no. So like, for example, um, okay, again, it depends on how much training you get. Um, and it, it's, it's difficult to say what's really, really normal. I, I, I mean, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps we shouldn't use the term normal. I think maybe uh, the term optimal would be best, you know. Okay. So it's a balance optimal. between between like details and big picture. Right. There. So so um, optimal. So like for example, you can say that. You know, you can say like you know for example, let's say let's say let's talk about the average American for example. Okay, is the average American healthy? Uh, no, uh, a whole lot of Americans are overweight. Okay, is that normal? Uh, well, it's not normal, but it's very typical, isn't it? Okay, 
it's not normal, but it's very, very typical. So optimal is when we're optimal. good at what we're supposed to do. If we're yeah. in a society where we have to read and where we have to play games like far away. Right. When you do everything, if you can do, if you can do it all, if you can get good at whatever it is you put your mind to, then most likely your eyes are working pretty well. Okay. Okay. Most how, likely that's what it is. How people that have lived like a long time ago, like people a thousand years. That's hard to say. That's hard to say. I mean, we don't really know. I mean, like, I, I don't know. I mean, people didn't do exams on each other back then. I mean, how would we know? You know, um, I would say, though, jeesh. Uh, okay. Like, just from my own experience of examining lots of patients' eyes in the Bay Area, um, I don't see too many normal eyes. Okay. I don't see a whole lot of normal eyes. Um, I mean, I remember... I, won't, uh, I remember uh, filling in for one of my uh, old classmates in her office, in her optometry office in Mountain View. And so you can expect in Mountain View, there's a whole lot of engineers um, living there, right? And, uh, you know, if I'm working there for one day and I'm seeing like 15, 16 patients, out of those 16 patients, like there's so many of them who have that same spasm thing that you've got going on. Because they're spending, you know, 12 hours a day on the computer screen day in, day out. I see so much of that. There's a lot of it. And they just deal with it, you know. They just deal with it. it doesn't mean it's good for you. Do you think there's, like, bias because of the people that are living here or, like, the people that come to see you? Do you think? Yeah. Is it I think, yeah, I, th I do think there's bias. But I'm just I'm speaking to you as somebody who's living in the Bay Area. Uh-huh. Okay, this being an urban, you know, suburban place where so many people are in tech and so many people are doing so much near work all the time, you're much more likely to find that a lot of people have messed up eyes. What's a good job you have if you want good eyes? Sheesh, that's hard to say. I mean, it, it, that depends your definition of a good job, you know? Um, because like, you know, if you're if you're okay, if you're a plumber, if you're a plumber, you know, you're doing a lot of things with your hands, if you're an electrician. I mean, well, I mean, you're 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 looking at things up close, but you're not you're not staring at fine details all the time. You do you're, you're driving around, and you know, there's all kinds of jobs that you know are less demanding on your eyes. Okay, um, but that doesn't mean it's a good job, especially not if you're. You know, if you got to be running around when it's super, super hot outside and whatever, you know, and it's physically demanding. So, I mean, what what's demanding for your eyes maybe is not so demanding for the rest of your body. And what's demanding for your body is probably not so demanding for your eyes. Right. Mm -hmm. How about you? Do you work like more in close stuff or do you work on more? Out? Uh, probably more close stuff, but at the very least, I mean. Yes, I do work on the computer quite a bit, just like preparing, preparing like, for example, you know, typing up patient um, procedures, typing up uh, patient reports and things like that. So, so yeah, I mean, do, I, I do spend a good amount of time on the computer, but um, thankfully uh, the, uh, the LASIK I got back in 06, um, I mean, my eyes are still, I'm still, not perfect 2020, but close to 2020. I still don't feel like I need glasses. So it hasn't gotten any worse since then. 
So I'm happy about that. Why'd you get LASIK? Because I could. Because my glasses were really thick. No, what made you take the decision? Like this is so you knew that LASIK was gonna help your eyes, and you didn't want to wear glasses anymore. Is that? I didn't want to because I mean back then I had a general practice. I had a, I was uh, I was doing regular optometry, and I had several patients who had very very good results with their LASIK surgeon. So there was one particular laser. There's a there's a particular uh, LASIK surgeon um, in San Jose that I had referred a few patients to. And when they came back there, everybody was like, oh, I'm so happy. Oh, my eyes, I can see so clearly, whatever. I'm like, I want that. I want that. I think I'll go get it. So I went to talk to him and I was like, hey, I want to get LASIK. Can you examine my eyes? He's like, oh, okay, sure, sure, sure. Come on in, come on over. So I got it done. You didn't recommend me to get contact lenses because you said my eyes are still like changing-ish. And I know that you're not really supposed to get LASIK if your eyes are gonna change a lot too, if they're uh, not that stable. Is, that is true. Nobody would do LASIK on you anyway, because you're too young. Uh-huh. Yeah, just because of age. You would never wanna get it at this, young, at, at this age. No, like for like an older person, uh-huh. um, if their eyes are not stable, you wouldn't want them to use contact lenses or get LASIK. Oh no, you can, they can do contacts. Oh, okay. Actually, that's that's not a reason to do. That's not a reason not to do contact lenses. Actually, if your eyes are unstable, it's probably easier to do contact lenses. It's easier to get a different box of a different a different power than it is to redo your glasses prescription, right? Especially if you're you know if you're using disposable lenses. No, I mean like for me, my eyes have been like stable as in like the power needed, but. Yeah not stable in how they work, right? Uh, right, right. So it does fluctuate a little bit. And the fluctuation how my eyes are working is not like the best for LASIK? I would hold off on it. Uh-huh, okay. I would hold off on it, yeah. If I, if I were you, I would hold off on it. You know, if you were, if you're like, if let's say you're 25, 26 year olds, if you're 25, 26 years old and had the same issues with your eyes, I would want to work on you a little bit more. Now, I know, that I'm sure there's a lot of LASIK surgeons that would that would work on you regardless. Because um, like the thing is, I mean, you do have, you do have some of that uh, spasm thing going on. Regarding the spasm, okay. Um, regarding the spasm, there's a couple of things that we can potentially do. Um, we could definitely just keep doing some more therapy. The other thing we can do is try to add in um, pharmaceuticals. So we can potentially use atropine eye drops and just use, use, use the eye drops to try to pharmacologically force those muscles to relax. Oh. And see, okay, you could do it. We could do that. We could do that. Okay. I could very easily just do that and see how much of an improvement we get that way. Okay. Um, I don't doubt that it would help. Uh, my concern is that if all the therapy we're doing isn't getting it to come down by itself, then um, if we get the prescription to decrease with the eye drops, uh, how stable would it be when you discontinue the eye drops? Because you don't want to like depend on it. Yeah, I don't want you to have to depend on it. That, that's kind of my, my uh, concern right now. Uh-huh. But yeah, I think we could certainly shorten the process speed up the process by using that.
by adding eyedrops. Is my case difficult? Is it different from a lot of people or? Um, I've just been pounding away on your case just because I feel like I could do better. It's because like, I didn't want to have to bump up your prescription. Um, your As far as your eye drifting outward is concerned, um, I mean, yeah, it, it drifts out when I cover your eye, but when when both eyes are open, it doesn't really drift anymore. So from that standpoint, your your eyes are already fixed. It's just that there's still that spasm there that I was hoping to knock out. When we try like new techniques, are they like new things that you're developing or the new stuff that we try? How do you know which technique to use with what problem? Um, so it depends on which one. So like, um, it's more like I just, you just take the concepts, uh -huh. you take the concepts and you go, okay, if you understand how the eyes work, like, like all the different activities that we do in vision therapy, um, they were all created by somebody. Mm -hmm. They were all created by somebody, somebody who understood how the system works. If you understand how the system works, you can come up with all sorts of different ways and equipment to try to get a job done. You don't have to do it the way that most people do it, okay? As long as it's effective. I mean, but again, it boils down to, do you understand how it works? If you understand how it works, there's more than one way to, to get the job done, okay? So, um, like, so some of the new activities I tried with you is more like, okay, I know, I, 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 when you said that, when you said that if you let your eyes drift, that things are more clear. Okay, you, you mentioned that if you let your eyes drift then things are more clear, that then that turned on a light bulb for me for like, oh, okay. So that means that um, you are actually consistently exerting a certain degree of effort to make the eyes straight. Mm. And that effort is blurring the eyes. Okay. Okay. The fact, the fact that if, if the, the instant your eyes drift outward, if you really, if you allow your eyes to drift, you said that you, if you allow your eyes to drift outward, then, then things clear up. That means that you are relying on voluntary effort to force the eyes straight, which in turn is causing the blur. That means I have to make your eyes straight without you having to put in that effort, which means I have to get you to see more. You have to use your periphery more rather than work on just pulling, pulling, pulling. We have to, we can't just work on pulling in. We have to work on processing more so that your eyes naturally stay straight rather than having to yank in, yank in, yank in. Do you like go to events? I remember like you have to go to like new, like talk with other people that know eyes and like um, there are, uh, yeah, there's that I take. Last year, last year I flew out to Ohio three times because there was a, there's a Dr. Monty Calvo that's um, running a seminar. Um, she's, she, you know, she, she's, she's got a very uh, successful vision therapy practice and she runs, um, uh, she, like, she teaches her program. She teaches how she runs things. And so I'm just trying to get as much input as I can from different doctors and and you know, take what they know and take, um, like, like I'm saying, like, you know, uh, is as long as you know how the system works, you can come up with all sorts of different activities to 
address the issue. Does that make so sense? You're, you're going to like the events to learn more about how the eye works more. So that I can get, so that I can under, so that I can learn how other people uh, do things and have a better understanding, uh, perhaps a deeper understanding of how the whole system works. I see. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like the, the way that I explained to you about how the brain has to be able to take in information about where and what things are at the same time and be able to process that across your entire field. Um, that's what we call, that, that's what we call having uh, an understanding uh, of the model of vision. One of the, um, so like when, when, I, when I interned at a vision therapy office back when I was in school, um, this is at an office down in San Diego. Uh, the first question that our, uh, the, 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 the doctor asked me, me and my other classmate, um, he asked us, um, describe your model of vision. And I was like, model of vision? What, 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 what the heck does that mean? What does that mean? Okay. He said, describe your model of vision. Okay. And um, the whole idea is, like, when we say vision, what, what do you, when, Basically, we want you to describe um, what your concept of what vision is. You have to understand what vision is. Um, most people think of vision as just eyesight. Do I see 2020? That's not vision. That's not really vision. That's just eyesight. Seeing 2020 just means all that seeing 2020 means is that you can see, that you can discern a certain. Uh, degree of detail at 20 feet away. That, that's all it means. It means that when something is such and such size this far away, I can discern the details. It doesn't tell me anything about how much information I can take in about my environment. Do I know where things are? Do I know my up from my down? Do I know my right from my left? Um, you know, am I going to be able to catch a ball properly? Okay. It doesn't tell me anything about that. And so can I come up with a uh, one, to two, one to two sentence description of what my understanding of vision is? And if you can do that, if you can do that, then you've got a concept in your mind of what it is you're trying to manipulate and improve upon so that you're working with your patients. Otherwise, you're just doing eye exercises and not really vision therapy. What's the one to two second? One to two set. One to two sentence for the mental model. Or the the model of the eye. The model of the eye. How'd you answer him? The uh, <laughs> she. Well. I, it's not like I got this memorized. Um, I don't remember. I don't remember what I said back then. But what I would say now is a little different. What I would say now is a little different. Yeah, vision is the vision is a uh, vision is a mental construct. Okay, vision is a mental construct 
comprised of all of your senses, okay, all of your senses, okay, vision is a mental construct comprised of all of your senses and all of your mental capacity to create and understand and prioritize your, your discernment of where, uh, of your relation to your environment. So it's not just, do I see clearly? It's, do I understand what's around me? It's, what can, it's so that, that includes, do I, do I understand what's around me? Do, can I organize it as in, if something is about to happen, do, can I prioritize what my, what my responses are? And it's a mental construct. It's not just a mental picture, it's a mental construct. And so if you use that, if you use that definition, then even blind people can be, can have vision. We just use different ways of creating that mental construct. Tell me more about like the blind people. How is that? If I lose my eyesight and again, I, I said, rely on my other senses to like yes. figure out, to create my right, mental. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So like, so like, um, Again, I said that that vision is a mental construct, right? It's having uh -huh. a it's ha it's having an internal construct of it's having an internal construct and understanding of 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 your environment and how it relates to yourself. That is derived from all of your senses. Any and any and all of your senses. So, for example. Um, uh, for example, if I, I can walk into a room and then after I look around, you turn off the lights, I remember where things are. I can fumble around and, and figure out how to get out of the room, even though I don't see anything at that moment in time. How am I able to do that? Well, I've got an internal map and, I'm, I, I, and I, connect, I connect that internal map to my sense of touch and my sense of proprioception and my 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 vestibular sense, you know, my sense of balance. So I know whether or not I'm about to trip over something. I'm using my sense of touch. So I know when I'm getting to the wall. Okay, I'm using, I'm using all of these different senses to, and I, I'm using all of these different senses and I'm connecting it with the pre-existing mental image of what my room looks like so that I can get out of there. Okay. With my other sense, would my other senses be contributing to my like my vision, my visual cortex? Yes, or yes, it does. For example, like um, one of the activities we do is called Brock string. That's where you're holding the string with some beads on it. Okay, I think you've done it before. Um, I've had patients, I've had many patients where when they look at a given bead, as they're looking at the bead, they're like, I ask them, do you see one bead or two? Oh, it's double. Okay, can you put it together as one? They're trying to move their eyes and just, ah, can't make it one. Okay, try touching the bead. Try putting your finger right under the bead and move your finger upward so that you just barely touch the bead. And the instant they touch it, their eyes come together. So because they sense, they know where the bead is with their finger, it helps their eyes make it one. Exactly. When they touched it, their sense of touch and proprioception, 
proprioception meaning can I feel where where my body parts are? Okay, we all have proprioceptors in our muscles and joints that tell us whether our joints are are relaxed or constricted. Okay, we have proprioception. That's proprioception. Okay, so we've got proprioception telling me, oh, the bead is there. And the instant I touched it, now my brain goes, ah, oh, that's where it is. Muscles, do this, boink. And until I touched, until the patient touched it, it was double the whole time. That's happened more than once. Okay. Okay. So the different senses reinforce each other. They reinforce each other. That's why we use things like the walking rail. So like, for example, I had a lady who had a head injury. Um, and after the head injury, after the head injury, the brain reinterpreted where her midpoint is. So what I had her do was this. This is what I had her do. Okay. So I had her cover one eye and I said, I want, I said, I want you to follow this, fo follow my pen, follow my, so, so I was like, okay. So, so this is what I did. I said, I said to her, okay, look at my pencil, follow the pencil tip and tell me when you feel like the pencil tip is straight in front of your eye. And it should be right there, right? Should be right there. Should be like, so what, ideally it should be like, oh, okay, it's, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming there. There's my center, okay? So that's what, that's what, you, that's what you should have, okay? So she should be going, mm, there's my middle, mm, there's my middle, okay? So that's what should happen. Here's what happened with her. There's my middle. Okay. So one eye said, this is the middle. The other eye said, this is the middle. We, the, the, okay, so after her head injury, after her head injury, one eye said, this is middle. The other eye said, this is middle. Instead of here. Man. Okay. So we've got, this is what we call a, uh, a midline shift, okay? And as a result of this, she got, she's got headaches, she runs into things, can't tell where she is, gets disoriented all the time. So what I do, I said, here, I want you to, I want you to get, I, I put her on this walking rail, okay? And I've got this ball, I got the, the you know, the, the, the ball with the string I've got it suspended at the end of the uh, at the end of the uh, walking rail. I said, "Here, I want you to get on the walking rail. Keep your eyes looking at the ball, and walk forwards and backwards. Walk forwards and backwards. And then afterwards, I put prism goggles on her. What the prisms do is they take everything she sees and it shifts everything in this direction, or that direction, or this direction, or that direction." Okay, I take everything that she sees and shift it in different directions. And, you know, so like the board, the, the walking rail is physically right under her. But when she's looking at it through those goggles, the board appears to be shifted this way or that way. It looks like it, but it's not. Okay, because of those goggles, those goggles, they take everything that she sees and she sh and it shifts it. And so now her brain has to calibrate and goes, oh, this is throwing me off. Oh, it, it, it looks... It's so like it's to my left, but I'm right on top of it. And then I take everything and shift it to the other side and then, and then up and then down. Okay. So I did that. And then lo and behold, a couple of days later, she tells me, Oh, Dr. Xiao, that, that, that shift 
it's not there anymore. I'm so, I'm so surprised. It, the shift is gone. It's now centered. Because what I've basically done is by making her walk on the walking rail, by making her, by, by making her balance her whole body on that walking rail, I'm using, I'm using her sense of balance and her sense of proprioception to reprogram her brain to thinking, oh, that's not middle, this is middle. That's fast. Okay. Oh, that was one time. I was quite surprised because I, I knew that the, that the problem with her was that she had the shift only in one eye and not the other. And so because it was shifted only in one eye, I was like, oh, shoot, will this work? I wasn't too sure it was going to work. Because I've seen, I've heard of patients who had that shift, and and that's the kind of exercise they would do, where by balancing on a walking rail and and having the different goggles, having the prism being shifted in different directions, that it helps to retrain the brain to to reset where your middle point is. Where where does your brain consider to be your center? Okay, and by doing so, um, you know, by by shifting it back and forth, and the thing is, a lot of times when people have the shift, it's both eyes together. Well, for her, it was only one eye. So I was like, oh, shoot. If it's only one eye, will this work? And I tried it, and it worked. Okay, great. It worked. Okay? So that's why I say vision isn't just the eyes. Vision is everything combined together. And people who get motion sickness, people who get a lot of motion sickness, what happens is there's a uh, majority of the time, it's because there's a mismatch between how their eye muscles work versus how their vestibular system is. Okay? So you've got, you've got the vestibular system. That's your inner ear that tells you whether you're upside down or slanted. It, it, it gives you, it's like your, your brain's GPS to tell you where you are compared to gravity. Okay, are you slanted this way, slanted that way? Are you, are you accelerating, decelerating? Okay, so that's what the vestibular system is, okay? The vestibular system has direct connections with your eye muscles. So that if I tilt my head this way, my eyeballs pivot like this. If I tilt my head this way, my eyeballs pivot like that. It's supposed to automatically pivot. Okay. So that means that the connection between these muscles and this system, it needs to be in good balance. They need to be properly communicating with each other. Otherwise, your perception of tilts in the horizon are not, in, are, are not uh, uh, they, they don't coincide properly with your sense of balance. Does that make sense? Because the way my eyes are shifting along with my um, inner ear part, yeah. Because it's not coordinated, I feel dizzy. If you tilt your head this way or that way, the the inner ear will will the inner ear will sense that your head is tilted this way or that way. And whenever it's tilted, whenever it's tilted, it sends a signal to the eye muscles to make the eyeball pivot this way, or that way. It's automatic. Okay, it it happens automatically. If you tilt your head and move your head, etc., the the inner ear sends signals to your eye muscles, making them move in different directions. It's supposed to. Okay, so people who have uh, severe motion sickness, oftentimes what happens is there is a mismatch between how the eye muscles work versus what they're sensing. They're not matched up properly. And now you get confusion. And that confusion makes you throw up. 
I am really fascinated by this, and I feel like I really want to talk a little bit more. Like, can we stay a little bit longer? <laughs> oh man, I'm now I'm hungry. Um, well, just <laughs> another five minutes. Another five minutes. Okay. But anyways, okay. yeah. So like, so again, the, the the whole whole the whole thing about how, again, I, I was talking about how it's all of your senses. Okay, it literally is all of your senses. Okay, maybe maybe not smell. Okay, maybe not smell. Okay, perhaps not smell. Taste. Taste and smell. Okay, maybe not taste and smell, but like definitely, definitely proprioception, definitely hearing. Okay, hearing and uh, balance, um, touch, those all contribute to vision. Okay, um, in fact, in the uh, so there's something called the 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 the, the brain. Okay, in the in the in the midbrain, there's something called the superior and inferior colliculus. Um, there's, it's, it's a section of the midbrain. And basically what it is, is the, the interaction between the superior and, and inferior colliculus, basically what it, what it is, is uh, that the, the wiring, the wiring, the neural connections in that part of the brain, what it does is it allows your, it allows your ears to tell you where to look. Okay. So for example, you hear a firecracker go, bang over here and all, right away you go, boom, what happened? Okay, boom, what was that? Boom, what was that? Okay, so essentially your brain's mental map of like your, your visual map, your visual map of where things are in your environment coincides with your mental map of where the sounds are coming from. So if, you're, if you hear a sound coming from behind you, then your brain goes, oh, that coincides with such and such area and my eyes need to do that. Happens just like that. Okay, so that's where the, the, all those different connections, they, they, they connect with each other. There are literal connections. How do I not get carsick and not dizzy? How do I make my eyes like coordinate with my ear, with my inner well, ear? Do you get motion sickness easily? In the past, like a lot. I mean, not a lot, but like in the past, yes. In the past? Um, I mean, there's different exercises, something called Greenwald eye movement. So like, for example, uh, you know that ball we have swinging back and forth? Um, like we have a, uh, one exercise where you first look at the ball swinging back and forth with just your eyes. So your head is not moving, it's just your eyes moving. Then then you look at the ball with just your head so that your eyes are not moving. And then with just your eyes, and then with just your head, then with just your eyes, then with just your head. Okay. So it's like your eyes are moving, then your head is moving. We do that with your head straight, do that with your head crooked this way, crooked that way, and with the head back. Mm. Okay. Okay. Okay, so there's that exercise th that helps with that. Um, I've had other patients who who told me that their motion sickness went away even without doing that, just because we got them to be able to process more peripheral information. That when their periphery opened up, it was because so like um, what what it is is like um, their balance system needs to get a sense of like where my horizon is. Okay. Like I want to be, if, if I look at things and I look at things like this, 
then when everything is moved, um, it, it's like it's disturbing. But if I if if instead of looking at things this way, I look at things this way, then it's a lot more then, then my eyes a lot more stable because I'm taking in more information at once. I've got the horizon. I've got the far distance to look at and pay attention to to help ground myself. And so that if I'm moving a little bit, it doesn't bother me anymore. It doesn't bother me as much because now I, I have a bigger field for my eyes to lock onto and maintain awareness. That's for the ball that's swinging. Um, uh, I'm saying I'm saying that even without doing the swinging ball, I've had patients who told oh. me that they no longer get motion sickness just because they're able to process more information. I see. Okay. Okay. I feel like in the past, I really had this fear of like losing my eyesight or like my eyes are getting worse. And like, it was really like stressful, like not. Uh -huh. And I feel like now that I know more about like therapy, it helps like, I don't feel as like, <laughs> like bad if like my eyes are like getting worse or something because i used to really have that fear that my uh -huh. eyes are my eyes are getting worse and uh -huh. it's like i'm losing my place in the world and um okay. I don't, it's just that feeling that <laughs> i feel more okay if like like how my eyes are working okay more, more than because like I have more control over them. Okay, okay. All right. That's good, that's good. I think what I'm getting at is like, throughout, um, for a long time, it was really hard for me to like, I would like kind of get like really irritated and mad, like, because my, my eyes like kind of hurt Oh, and it's like really okay. hard for me when like the therapists were like working with the exercises with me. Oh, I'll get okay. like really frustrated like doing those exercises because I feel uh -huh. like my eyes are just like getting worse and like I think just fear. Yeah. Okay. Do you feel like there's like there's more to that? Not sure. I haven't had anybody tell me that before. <laughs> okay yeah because like i would think about my eyes being bad for a lot like it was a really like big like preoccupation in my mind like wow. every day i would think about my eyes not being able to see that kind of thing dang that, that's kind of crazy <laughs> i would feel like because what i'm thinking right now is like I would feel like a lot of people have this problem, right? People are afraid to lose their eyesight. Yeah, right? yeah, I think a lot of people are concerned about that. Um, I, like one of the things, one of the big things that I think about is the fact that like, you know, again, going back to the fact that people don't know why they are the way they are, okay? So again, going back to how like, you know, there's the big picture people and then there's small picture, the, the big picture people and there's small detail people. And um, they don't know why they are the way they are. And they don't know that 
there's something that could be done. Now, one of the things that that we find very true in, in my field is that if everybody who could potentially benefit from vision therapy actually sought it out, we would be swamped. There's just not enough of us. There's literally, there's not enough vision therapy doctors in the world right now, just not enough. Um, and my former mentor, um, his, his take on it was that um, the only way that, that if, if I, that if I do well, if I do well, it, like if we all do well, we would all help each other. Like if, if we as vision therapy doctors, regardless of the fact that we're uh, practicing in the same you know, Bay Area, if we all do a good job, that just makes vision therapy uh, a more viable and acceptable form of treatment so that uh, more and more people seek it out. Mm -hmm. If we do a bad job, then word gets out that vision therapy doesn't work. It, it's not so much that this doctor didn't do a good job, it's that vision therapy doesn't work because there's so few of us, it's like, oh, um, you know, uh, what, you know, I, never, I never heard of vision therapy, what does it do? I tried it out and it doesn't work. Well rather than thinking that this doctor did a bad job, I just end up thinking that, oh, vision therapy doesn't work and I'll tell other people that it doesn't work, right? Because there's so few of us doing it. Um, you won't say that about other types of medical professionals because they're more well-established. Like, you know, mm. it's, it's established that, you know, dentists do a good job. It's established that whatever kind of doctor does a good job, uh, it's just a matter of finding a good one. But if there's so few of us, then then it, then you kind of then, then people kind of think, oh, gee, is this thing real? Does this even work? You know. So if I do a bad job, then it, it hurts him, hurts the field. And um, so yeah, that's why they say that like if everybody who could potentially benefit from vision therapy actually sought it out. There's simply not enough of us doing it. Yeah. How do I be a vision therapist then? How? Uh, well, you got to be an optometrist first. Vision therapy is a sub is a, a specialized field of optometry. Of, of optometry, yes. Yeah. Ophthalmologists don't do it. They don't. There's no ophthalmology. There's no. It doesn't exist. Basically, it does not exist in in medical schools. So the field does not exist in ophthalmology. So they're, they're more focused on disease, surgery, which is important, but it's, that's not what we do. Did you know about this in college? Uh, in college, when I, when I was at the, um, uh, when I, in, when, sorry, when I did some uh, observations at the Berkeley Optometry School, I saw it. I didn't really know anything about it. I didn't know that this is what I wanted to do. It, um, it looked kind of interesting. And then later on, when I went to optometry school, um, my first therapy patient was a kid who had a classic case of convergence insufficiency. That's the convergence problem that I was talking about earlier. Um, he was a sixth grade kid with a fourth grade reading level. 
And in only one month, his reading speed shot through the roof. And um, yeah, when he first came in, his mom was concerned that he was dyslexic. And we examined him and we're like, oh, no, he's not dyslexic. Uh, in fact, his sight word recognition is just fine. He has no problem recognizing words. Uh, his problem is after stringing all the words together, he can't remember anything. Okay. If you're dyslexic, you can't even identify individual words. He's got no trouble with that. He's a sixth grade kid who was able to identify high school level words. No problem. But he just couldn't remember anything that he read after he's done with it because his tracking was off. So within a month, his reading speed shot up and he came to the, he came to the school clinic with a, like a two inch thick Star Wars trilogy novel and a huge grin on his face. And, and he was, he was uh, bragging about how he was able to read it now and he doesn't have any trouble anymore. And so it was after that, that he decided, oh, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna get good at this. It feels good. It feels good to make a difference. So that, that's basically what started it. Isn't there like a disconnect between like medical fields? Like some people might feel he, he might be dyslexic, but if they go to you, they might see like your, you as a specialist, then you would know that it's actually a vision problem. Like, do you feel yeah, like there, there's definitely a disconnect? Yes. There needs to be like coordination within tons of medical fields. Well, there should be, but there isn't. Yeah. There's like, a lot of politics. So there's a lot of politics that are going on in, in medicine, all fields of medicine. There's a lot of politics that are going on. Yeah, definitely. All right. All right. I, I really should get going. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for talking. Like, right. I, yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, yeah, good night. Have a good uh, Thanksgiving break. We'll see you the week after. Right. Have a good dinner. Okay. Later. All right. Good All night. Right. Bye. Good night. Bye.